light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things to life everlasting he passed and we followed him there over us sin no more has dominion for more than conquers we are turn your eyes upon my message, I think, somewhere or someone stole it. One of the two. All right. I'm sure someone stole it. All right. Can I have one of the staff guys go and check my desk? I must have left it on my desk or something. I have no idea. You'll see it. It's about uh, the devil. <laughs> All right. Let's see here if I can remember the actual. Turn to Revelation chapter... 12, I believe it is, Revelation chapter 12. We just uh, use these verses to kick things off every week, but uh, Revelation chapter 12, once I get there, I'll tell you the verses. All right. All right, let's go ahead and begin reading in uh, verse 7. And we'll just read probably through verse 12. The Bible says, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. 
Well, that was fast. <laughs> wow. Wow, that's something else. These guys are like Flash Gordon around here. Man, I thought I was fast. So anyway, and there, <laughs> Revelation chapter 12, verse 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon fought against his angels. Fought and his angels, excuse me. And prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent, called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. Now in this particular passage, we realize that the setting is the tribulation period. Uh, this isn't... Uh, you know, a passage that deals with specifically today, it's dealing with the future. And so as we look at the devil being cast down out of the heavenlies and into the earth, it's talking about a day when uh, toward the end of the tribulation period, or toward, in the midst of the tribulation period, and all of a sudden now uh, Satan is wreaking havoc on the world because he knows he has but just a short time before the Lord returns and ultimately places him. Uh, in bondage and holds him for a thousand years. And so the devil's fighting like, like crazy. I mean, he's on the war path, if you will. But notice again, he's the accuser of our brother, and he's called the great dragon, and he's the serpent, he's called the devil and Satan, and he deceives the whole world. Well, we've been looking at the devil. We've been addressing it for some time. And our goal, of course, is not to, is not to somehow give the devil all kind of airtime. It's to expose him for who and what he really is. It's to familiarize ourselves with our enemies so that we can better defend ourselves and attack more effectively. That's the reason why every time we go to war or have an enemy, you need to get to know a little bit about your enemy or as much as you possibly can so you can kind of have an idea of how they're going to attack and, and what kind of tricks they're going to use and uh, how they're going to strategize so that you can better defend and attack. And that's exactly what we're trying to do. So we learn a little bit about the activities of Satan. We said that he opposes God's plan for the ages. We noted that he's opposing God's people. He's opposing, hindering, and seeking to corrupt the work of the gospel. We said that he's working miracles, and he does those things and uses them to deceive even. He, uh, uh, and, and not only to deceive, but maybe even sometimes to hold people in ca captivity to keep them locked in on him. Number five, we said that he's blinding folks' minds to the gospel. And again, uh, we read that, but if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost. Boy, I'll tell you what, he's blinding people's minds, keeping them, those who don't believe, he's keeping them in the dark. Then we said, number six, he's inflicting disease and trouble on people. And we recognized that, we noted that, we spent some time addressing it and dealing with it, especially as we focused on the life of Job. Tonight we want to pick up now where we left off and we're going to begin by talking about this idea, uh, 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 some more of his activities of course, but how he, he's tempting folks to sin. 
And again, that's nothing new. I think all of us could attest to that one, right? That's one of those ones we could say, oh, I already knew that one. You don't have to probably spend a lot of time on that one, preacher. Probably not, but I think we'll spend a little bit of time on it. So let's go ahead and have a word of prayer, and we'll continue. Father, thank you for your love, for your grace in our lives. We are a needy people. We realize and recognize, Lord, how easily we can be led astray. In this old, wicked, sinful flesh of ours, Lord, we are weak indeed. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And Lord, we know, Father, we need you. And Lord, the devil's deceiving us all the time, trying to, to, to make us ineffective for you. And Lord, as believers, we want to be as effective as we possibly can. Now, Lord, give us insight into our enemy that we, Father, would not be taken captive by him. We would not be deceived, that he would not get an advantage of us. Now, Father, be glorified now in this service and fill me with your Holy Ghost. Fill every listening ear. And Lord, help us, Father, to glean what we need. Put a hedge about us. Keep the devil out. And Lord, allow the word of God to not only be driven into our heart, but to take root. We desperately need you now, Lord. Please bring us protection. And Lord, prosper us in these next few moments. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So when we think about this, uh, the activities of the devil, we think about the idea that he, he's tempting folks to sin. Turn to Matthew chapter 4, would you? Probably one of the great passages of all the Bible when it comes to temptation would be the temptation of Jesus Christ, right? So let's take a look at that very quickly. We'll just read it. Matthew chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 4, just 1 through 3 for the time being. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward a hungred. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. We know that the devil would go on to tempt him uh, again and again at that point. We recognize uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, where the Bible talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And we recognize that the very ways that Christ was tempted in the wilderness by Satan is exactly the same way that you and I are tempted today, according to that 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. So nothing's really new has transpired or changed. The devil's using the same tactics. He just uses a few different surrounding elements, but it's always the same thing. People say, well, you got to understand it's different today. Man, it's a lot tougher today. It's been the same attack, the same way. He just uses different tools to get it done. The devil is called the tempter here. He's the tempter. And you know what? The Apostle Paul also refers to him as the tempter. Over in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5, the Bible says, For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. Man, the Apostle Paul saying, listen, I... I, I, at some point, I just got to get in touch here. I got to figure out what's going on. I've sent to know your faith because I'm concerned lest by any means the tempter have tempted you because if he tempts you and you fall or falter, then our labor would be in vain. Man, there was a battle taking place. So many things were transpiring in the early church. We kind of get the idea that they had it all figured out in the early church, you know? 
Everybody was loving Jesus. Everybody was on the same uh, 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 note, so to speak, and singing the same thing and doing the same things and striving together all the time. Let me tell you what, there were Judaizers that were trying to introduce false doctrine and trying to tell people that you had to keep the law to be saved. And by the way, in your Sunday school class this past week, you learned about that, didn't you? You learned how the fact is is that what was going on in the church in chapter 15 when the Apostle Paul went back to Jerusalem and had that council with James and Peter and all of them, how they had to address and deal with those problems that were taking place in the church. I had to say, listen, you sent some people from Jerusalem. Is that true? Did you send some Pharisees and people from the church at Jerusalem that have yet to recognize and realize that salvation is by grace through faith alone? And you started telling my Gentile converts that you have to not only believe in Jesus Christ, but also keep the law and be circumcised? Man, let me tell you, the early church had its its obstacles. It had its problems too. It had its false teachers and they had to address and deal with this kind of issue just like we have to deal with it today in our churches because the devil's always trying to wreck and ruin lives and marriages and homes and churches and countries and the world in general. For this cause, when I came, I could no longer forbear. I couldn't deal with it no more. I, I sinned to know your faith, lest by any means the tempter have tempted you. Boy, the devil's tempting. He's always tempting folks to sin. We have examples of Satan tempting people. We see Eve. We see Eve being tempted in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. And we know that he comes along and he, he says to the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. We see Judas over there in John chapter 13, verse 2, and supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him. Put it into his heart. And that's something. That's interesting. Ananias and Sapphira, we think about them, you know, that early church couple there in chapter 5 of Acts, when the Bible says, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? I mean, was it not yours to do it as you pleased? Couldn't you just have taken it off if you really wanted it? Why did you have to try to put on the dog or put on the show and try to pretend to be so holy and righteous and, and so godly? Why would you do that? You could have just simply been honest. Instead, you lied to God. That's who the Holy Ghost was called later on. He lied to God. And the, and the Bible tells us, Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost. Boy, Satan's active, isn't he? It's interesting, too. You've got Judas who's traveling with Jesus. You've got Ananias and Sapphira who are a part of the early church, a church that's growing and going for Jesus Christ. You've got Eve who is one of the first one to be uh, created along with Adam there. And yet we find that the devil is doing a pretty bang-up job wrecking and ruining them. Oh, I'm good to go. I go to church three times a week, preacher. And let me tell you, the devil is determined to tempt you too. And let me tell you what, if you don't have your guard up, just like if I don't have mine up, he's going to get to us and it's going to wreck and ruin us. Oh, I, that would never happen to me. Never's a long time. 
Then we see him warning the married couples in 1 Corinthians 7, 5, defraud ye not one the other except it be with consent for a time that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again lest that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. Young widows in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 15, for some are already turned aside after Satan. They made commitments to the Lord Jesus Christ after losing a husband. Oh, I'm going to serve God now. I'm going to give God all my life. I'm going to do it all for him. And then some good-looking fella comes along, and they said, oh, I think I'll get married again. Well, you just lied. You said you weren't, and now you are. Let me tell you what. Don't you be making vows to God and think that you can go and just change the, change the rules. You don't get to do that. According to this passage, some are already turned aside after Satan. Isn't that something? Following the flesh. Younger widows. Wow, that's something there. By the way, the young widows are to remarry. That's what the Bible says. You consider yourself young and a widow, then you need to remarry according to the Bible. You say, that's not what I want to do. I don't care. I'm telling you what God says. I'm not talking about what you want to do or what I want to do. I'm talking about the Bible. You know, we got to get back to the word of God, right? What is a young widow? I'm not going to go into it now, and I'm not going to address it or deal with it, but I want you to think about some of these things. We got people that are 40 years old and single. I'm telling you, we better be careful with some of this stuff. God's trying to protect us. He doesn't do things to hurt or harm us. But by the way, he also wants to protect you by saying, you only marry in Christ. Amen. It's sad to watch Christians who have gotten divorced, run out into the world and jump back into the, the dating scenes and they get mixed up with the wrong kind of people because they're so desperate to find someone. I've talk, I said something about this a few weeks back. I'm burdened about that because I'm seeing it happen more and more all the time. It's sad. We gotta be so careful. Man, listen, God says, if God is big enough to meet your needs, he's big enough to bring somebody into your life if that's what he wants for you. You don't have to go searching around the world. You just need to be where God wants you to be right now. Right now. And if God wants you to be single, then make sure he wants you to be single and you just don't want to be single. That's all that's it. You just got to follow the Lord here. And I got to follow the Lord. We just got to obey Christ. It's funny, isn't it, today? We live in a world where you're allowed to preach whatever you want as long as you don't get too specific. You know, just don't get specific about things. Don't tell me what I have to do. Just kind of in general tell me what, you know, sound, what I, you know, what I, I like to hear. Just tell me that I need to love Jesus because I do love Jesus. Isn't it funny today? That's enough for most people, right? But there's a whole book. It's called a rule book, if you will. We don't follow the law. We're under grace. Yeah, we'll go out and murder then. Well, that's different. Why is it different? It's in the law. It's called moral law, right? The moral law wasn't abandoned whenever Jesus Christ uh, died on the cross, was buried and rose again. There's still a moral law. But there is an element of the law that we do not fulfill. We don't have to follow. We don't have to do that. Praise the Lord for that, too. We don't get saved by doing something. We get saved by trusting in someone. I'm glad for that. But be obedient to the Lord. Just say, Lord, what do you want from me? What do you want me to do? Check it out. Okay, so nonetheless, Satan tempts us to sin. In contrast, can I tell you, God does not tempt us to sin. God doesn't tempt us to sin. Turn to James chapter 1, verse 13. 
James 1.13. James chapter 1, verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. See that? For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. You say, well, he was tempted. Really? You think that, you think that Jesus, I mean, let's, let's, Jesus is God, right? Can Jesus sin? We, you know, we start asking those questions. Can Jesus even sin, right? He's God. So anything he would say or do would be right. I mean, right, he's God. He makes the rules. So theologically speaking, or, or, or whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, that, that it's almost like, well, Jesus couldn't sin really because, see, Jesus makes the rules, so anything he did would be right. But on the other hand, do you know that what Jesus didn't have, you and I have, we have that sin nature, don't we, within us. No, Jesus didn't. Was he tempted in the sense that he was tempted by Satan, that Satan tried to get him to follow him and do all? Yeah, he did. But let me tell you what, Jesus was not going to fall. And the truth is, is that Jesus went through that testing and temptation to prove to you and I that indeed he would not, nor could he. He was walking in the spirit. He was not living in the flesh in the least. And you and I can overcome sin in our lives if we will walk in the spirit and not live in the flesh. It's a reality of life. That's a, it's a reality of scripture. Now you say, does it happen? Not too often, right? But it, it's possible. Theoretically speaking, biblically speaking, we can overcome sin. We don't have to live according to the flesh. We can overcome that. Now, again, it says, I mean, God does not tempt mankind with evil. Again, that'd be counterintuitive, really, when you think about it. Because he wants to save us from sin, not encourage it. it it's amazing to me how we as believers justify our sin in our life when Jesus saved us from and out of sin. And yet somehow we get the idea that he saved us in our sin. See, what I mean by that is well, Jesus saved us out of our, out of our sin, right? He, he didn't save us to stay in sin. He saved us to come out from among them and be separate. That's what he really did. But we get saved and keep hold of our sin as though he saved us in our sin. He saved us out of sin. And that's something we have to keep in mind as we live our lives for Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus Christ said he was sinless, right? Well, what should we strive for? Sinlessness. That's what we ought to strive for, at least. So, again, we set the standard pretty low, don't we? I'm better than most people. So I feel pretty good about myself, right? But that's not the standard again. So, nonetheless, here we see that even Satan, uh, even though Satan tempts people, this is interesting too. He can't make anybody sin. Satan can't make anybody sin. He can't do that. Look at James chapter 1, verse 14. We already read 13. It says, let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God, for God cannot, uh, God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But then he goes on to say, but every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So James 1.14 says that men are tempted when they are drawn away of their own lusts. If, if that's the case, okay, because it's like, 
there's something in us already, right? That's not, that's not too good. We do such a good job of going the wrong direction already. Satan doesn't really have to do a whole lot. You know what, what Satan really does, he simply flames the fires of desire that already exist in our hearts. That's all he has to do. See, I'm following my desires. That's why I sin. But then Satan, he flames those desires so that he, when I go, I ah, no, and he goes, oh, and he goes, no, he flames the fires. And then we finally give in to it. The devil made me do it. No, that was already in you. He just kind of, go ahead, do it. You want to, you know it. That's what Satan does. Because really the Bible tells us clearly that, man, that, that, that we're drawn away of our own lusts and enticed. Well, if that's the case, and it is, man must take responsibility for his own misconduct then. Yes, Satan tempts us. No doubt about it. He tempts us to sin, but he doesn't, we, he can't force us to sin. If I sin, it's because Mark O'Donnell chooses to sin. If you sin, it's because you choose to sin. Now, I don't know if that's liberating to you or if that's like really a bummer. But, I mean, to think, we don't have to listen to the devil. We don't have to do what he says. We can, we can overcome him through the Lord and through the, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. So, Think about old, not old Eve. She wasn't that old, probably. <laughs> she, you know, Eve. Think about Eve living a long time ago in the old days. There, that's better, Mark. Could Eve have already been pondering the fruit that was forbidden? You wonder about that. Was Eve already like, you know, what, at some point did Eve kind of go, man, the Lord said we couldn't eat that one. Hmm. That one looks pretty good. Do you think maybe Eve already had started thinking like that? Before the devil showed up? Could it have been that the devil just came along and began to ask her evil questions, so to speak, to lead her along? I don't know. I'm just asking because that's kind of, I don't know about you, but I don't need a lot of help to do wrong. I've been doing a pretty good job of that since I was born. My mom told me that at least. But nonetheless, the devil, boy, I'll tell you what, the old devil, he tempts folks to sin. He tempts folks to sin. Not only that, but he controls unsaved people. He is controlling unsaved people. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, these, these passages keep coming up all the time, it seems like to me. They're always coming up. I like Ephesians. I like Ephesians a lot. But notice what it says in Ephesians 2.2. Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. <laughs> Wait a second. Did you just get that? Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air. Who's that? The devil. Satan. That's right. So in time past, ye walked according to the course of this world, according 
to the prince of the power of the air. He obviously has something to do with the course of this world then. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, he says. The prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now worketh in the children of disobedience. And listen, uh, he said, you know, in the past, ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the devil, the, the, the Satan, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. You have come out from among them. You've been saved and, and changed, transformed. But that same spirit now worketh in the children of disobedience. See, there is a current of evil that determines the course of mankind. Again, a current of evil that determines the course of mankind. Kind of like a little, a river, right? A small stream even. The rain comes and all of a sudden it starts to fill up. And what's it do? It gets really, I mean, it starts to move quick. And man, I, I mean, tell you, you got to be careful. You get out there into that current and that current can kind of take your legs right out from under you and down the stream you go. And I'm telling you, that's the world and that's how it is with the devil. There's a current of evil that determines the course of mankind. Who's in charge of all that mess? Satan is. You know what? The world's not even aware of it for the most part. They don't even realize it. Satan has so carefully disguised his hand among men that they honestly believe themselves to be master. Even though Satan's pushing all the right buttons and is manipulating them and every single outcome. Now again, that's hard for us to understand. Because we grew up believing that we made decisions, that we're doing things our way. And we are making decisions, and we're doing it our way. The only problem is, is that internally, inherently, we're sinners already, and the current of evil is sweeping us along in that tide or that, that current, so to speak, and we are just literally being turned and moved in the direction Satan would have us go. Lost mankind is controlled by the devil. He is the mastermind behind their every thought and their actions. Whether they understand that or not, they're controlled in that sense by the tempters. Luke 22, 3 says, Then entered Satan into Judas. We already noted this. Surnamed Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve. He entered into him. As we noted before, Satan has a network or a hierarchy, if you will, by which he governs this world system that he's over. In Ephesians 6, 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Even as Satan has personally inspired and influenced, even as he did that to Judas, and he did that to Judas to betray Jesus, he also can assign his demonic forces to do his bidding and to influence and impact the decisions and deeds of those that are lost as well. John 8, says, Year of your father the devil and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh the lie, he speaketh of his own for he's a liar and the father of it. Year of your father the devil and the lust of your father you will do. According to the Bible, Satan literally controls the lives of the unsaved. Lost men and women, again, may believe themselves to be free thinkers, to be the masters of their own fate, but in reality, 
They're puppets in the hand of the God of this world. Sad. That's why Jesus said that he will make you free indeed. We know that he empowers false religions and idolatry. And I'm I'm just flying through these because of time. But he does. He promotes false teaching. We can see passages like 1 Timothy 4.1, 2 Corinthians 11. We see that those things taking place. As a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 12, but what I do, uh, that I will do, that I may cut off occasion from them which desire occasion, that wherein they glory, they may be found even as we. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel. For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it's no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Let me tell you, I mean, he is empowering false religions and false and, and, and idolatry. He, he is, is uh, putting people in place, as we talked about even earlier in the early church, to create problems within the context of the church to ultimately derail the church, if you will, and the doctrine of the church. False religion. Satan is the mastermind. He is the power behind false teaching. And that's why multitudes follow. There is a spiritual power that draws and holds them. Boy, it's Satan. And he does. He provides some real power. We know that to be the case. He might be a fallen creature, but he is the avowed enemy of God. And you know, it's interesting when Michael, the archangel, approaches him about the body of Moses, the book of Jude. He respects the position and the power of Satan so much that he wouldn't argue with Satan about it. He simply said, the Lord rebuke thee. The indication is that when it came time for the body of Moses, remember he went up into Mount Pisgah, and it's the indication is that the, the devil said something basically to the effect, hey, his body is a physical body. How's come? I, I'm in charge of this world. I'm the God of this world. I have access to the physical. Why are you trying to take the body? That's my body to do with as I please. That, that's been implied by certain theologians. And, and Michael is being sent to deal and take that body so that the devil couldn't ultimately use it to, well, his people would have just worshipped him probably if, they, if the body was still around. They'd put him under glass probably and they'd be bowing to him every day and, oh, Moses, oh, Moses. He'd have probably become a false idol because Israel was, they were idolaters. And so he disputes with him, but he doesn't dispute with the devil he just says, the Lord rebuke thee. Hey, listen, I'm on a mission. You got a problem with God, you tell him. You ain't got a problem with me. I'm not the one doing this. I got no, I got no beef against you, dude. It's not my problem. But that's how powerful the devil is. People run around, and I know Billy Sunday was good about it. I'll kick the devil to, I'll come him to death till I die. I'll do all that stuff. You know, I, I, it sounds good in preaching, but honestly, I want nothing to do with the devil. Nothing at all to do with the devil. I'll just go ahead and let the Lord rebuke thee. So 
We close with, by saying he accuses Christians, and we already read that earlier in chapter 12, verse 10. Boy, the devil, he, he's, he's all about destruction, death. He opposes God's plan for the ages. He opposes God's people. He opposes, hinders, and seeks to corrupt the work of God. He works miracles. He blinds men's minds to the gospel. He inflicts disease and trouble. He tempts folks to sin. He controls the unsaved, unsaved people. He empowers false religion and idolatry. And he is the accuser of the brethren. He's always accusing. He's nobody to mess with. But fortunately for us, fortunately for us, we're more than conquerors through him. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. We can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth us. We don't have to be bound by sin any longer. We've been made free indeed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let's make sure that we don't let our guard down. We don't need to dwell on or think about the devil all the time. Not at all. That's not my point. But we just need to be walking circumspectly, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time we've had in your word. We ask, Lord, you just speak to our hearts and work in our lives. We desperately need you now. Be glorified. Father, without you, we are nothing. Oh, God, help us to be found faithful to you. And Lord, as the devil gets to uh, working in our lives and, and sends even his, his uh, commando, commanders and his soldiers, Father, to tempt and to, uh, Father, place things before us to distract us. Help us, Father, to keep our eyes on you, Lord Jesus, not allow the devil to get his way. We need you. We love you. In Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand.